I can't, Johnny, I can't um, see any slides here. Oh, yeah, okay. Great. So this uh, series is called Blessed to be a Blessing, and um, I'll maybe give it the title of um, Sub Subverting the System, um, which if that was in the Bible, would be my life verse. <laughs> um, but it's not. So just want to just do a very quick recap on what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. And the first thing is uh, just, and this is just a, a recap from what I was talking about last week, is that stewardship is the key to growing in authority in the kingdom of God. How we steward whatever it is that God has given us, whether it's time, energy, money, skill, and talent, and how we steward that, we'll see God's kingdom come um, and a really important question for us to ask is, what are you doing, um, or what are you going to do with what you have been given? That is a question that is really important for us to ask. Sometimes we, we ask ourselves a different question, which is, if, or a statement, we think, well, if only I had this, I would do that, you know? And so we do nothing because we think, if I had this or that, or this happened, or if my circumstances were different, I would do whatever. But whatever you have and whatever your circumstances are right, right now, the question is, what are you going to do with what you have been given? And God has blessed us with a mandate that we find in Genesis to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and to be involved in uh, a, an overflow of the blessing that we've received to God to be a blessing to others. And so let me set my stall out early, uh, and I think this, you can read this, but I think there's a slight mistake in it, because I read it again, thought it doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> but it, what I want to say is this, and it's not very well written, but anyway, it's uh, probably better preached. The extent to which we understand who we are and find our identity, value, hope, and purpose in God will be the extent to which we are able to freely navigate the world around us experience the blessing of God, and be a blessing to others. So the extent to which we find our identity, hope, purpose in God is the extent to which we're going to be a blessing to others. So it's a journey. It's not something that we just arrive at. And so what happens uh, sometimes, and what we do in churches, we'll say things like, you know, um, you need to understand that um, I'm a child of God and that God is my father, that I'm a spiritual son or daughter and uh, I need, you know, we should live in the good of that. And so we, we, we take a little box in our head when we've learned that and we go, I'm a child of God and I'm dearly loved by the father, tick. And we move on to something else. And what I want to just challenge us with is that thinking restricts us because if God is who he says he is, then the discovery of him and our relationship with him is a lifelong activity. It's not a tick box. It's a discovery because he is a person that we relate to. And so every time we find out something about God, we go deeper into that reality of I'm a child of God. We go deeper into that reality of I'm loved by the Father. Um, and that never stops. And until we see him face to face, you will never live fully in the reality of the fact that you're loved by your father, God, and that you are a son or a daughter of God. You will always be learning something new. But the extent to which we live in the reality of that will allow us to be a blessing to other people. But there's a little bit of a problem. 
the problem um, is called sin. And at the start of the Bible, we read in Genesis, and we have this picture of people at peace with God, at peace with themselves, at peace with each other, and at peace with nature. And that's a context in which you live a blessed life. And Adam and Eve Eve knew no lack. They lived in abundance. And the natural expression of their lives would have been to bless each other endlessly because they didn't know what it was like to not have things. And so in the Genesis story, this perfect place, it doesn't seem to last very long. And sin and its consequences come in. And things get messed up pretty quickly. But we must remember that Jesus came to restore everything that was lost. And if we are his disciples, we are involved in a restoration process to restore things back to the way things were before. In terms of us being at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, at peace with each other, and at peace with the world and the creation around us. And so when we pray in the Lord's Prayer... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're starting to speak into that. We're starting to say, we want the reality of heaven, the way it was in the Garden of Eden before sin came along, we want that to happen more and more on earth now. And we should not be surprised when our actions of stewarding blessing look strange and unusual to the people around us. Because there are two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And if we are people who are going to be blessed to be a blessing, we'll find at times that the way we live into that looks strange to those around us. And we are probably going to find ourselves conflicted too. Because we don't just live under the rule and reign and authority of God. There is also another authority and another rule and another reign at work that we unfortunately live under as well. And... Let's just dive in to what that looked like. This is, um, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, this is from Genesis chapter 3, um, from verses 1 to 13. I'll read it on the screen so that we can all be on the same page. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit from the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? 
The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And you see, things go pretty bad pretty quickly, don't they? But the temptation that Adam and Eve faced started with doubt. You see, it said that the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal um, that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, the woman, did God really say, you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say, say? And so Satan starts with doubt. And Satan doesn't have very many new tricks because if you were to go forward in your Bible, it's not on the screen, but if you were to go forward to Matthew chapter 4, that when Jesus was tempted in the desert, it says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That's an understatement. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are. And this is how the enemy works. He sows doubt into our minds so that he can get a foothold. In the case of, of Eve, doubting the goodness of God, the provision of God, uh, and in our lives too, it will quickly rob us of our joy. It starts to create an unease that will lead to more. Are you really saved? Can you really follow Jesus? Can this really be your church home where you are accepted? Doubt begins to sow in, and Satan will use that all the time in our lives. And so Satan follows up this doubt with Eve. He follows that up with a lie. Um, now that he's got his ear, he directly contradicts the words of God. You will not, you certainly will not die, the serpent said. And so this direct contradiction to the truth of God is the selling of another truth, a false truth. There's a different way that you can go. When doubt comes in and lies are about, Eve now looks at the fruit in the tree and thinks, that looks really nice. She's tempted. It looks nice. Um, it'd be good to eat. I'm going to get something that I don't already have out of it. And the battle is lost in her mind before she takes action. And she bites the apple. It kind of reminds me of that little phrase that we use, the grass is always greener on the other side. And isn't it so true? But, you know, we kind of look at Eve and go, you know, we shouldn't have eaten that apple. But would we have done anything different? Do we find ourselves looking out and thinking about what we don't have and reaching out for something else? And in effect, Eve was stepping out of the blessing of God. And even if you think of that idea of her reaching out and picking this apple, she's stepping from the blessing of God and the abundance of God to reach out for something else that she doesn't already have. Something that she believes in some way is better. And so she involves Adam. And so this often happens. We all do this, that when we are doing something wrong, it's always better to find a friend to do it with. Um, so you don't feel so bad about yourself because this is the two of you in it now. Um, and the familiar, then he did it too, she did it. It's his fault, it's her fault. The blame game starts as we fail to take responsibility for our actions. And see, the way of blessing stands opposed to Satan and his kingdom. And therefore, we shouldn't be surprised that we find ourselves in a battle. Sometimes the enemy is at work to deceive and distract us from all the good that God has for us. And to stop us from doing good 
to others. He is counterfeiting good things and our relationship with good things in order to tempt us away from God. Because God is the creator, not Satan. He is the counterfeiter of all things. Satan deceives us and causes us to doubt the truth, and all of a sudden, the blessing of God isn't good enough for us. And so, we need to believe that God's good is the best for our lives. If we're going to overflow with blessing, we need to believe that, but we need to believe it to the point where we actually live it. You see, we have been sold a lie that what we have is not enough. And this is the same lie that Adam and Eve were sold. So they took their eyes off God and the good things around them, and they were distracted by what they don't have. And we find that all the time in life, don't we? That we're distracted by what we don't have, that no matter what we have, it's always what we don't have that we're looking for and looking to. But also that, that when they reached out for the apple, they were giving up on God as the provider and choosing to meet their own needs in their own ways. They were saying, God, I think I know better than you. There's a better way for me to do this. They were believing in some way that God was stingy or holding back something from them and that they were missing out, which we even now have an abbreviation for, don't we? FOMO, the fear of missing out. And this wrong decision damages us and it damages one another. That self takes place takes the place of God and occupies our lives. That rather than saying, well, God has the best way forward for me, the best way for me to live my life, we're going, well, actually, do you know what? I think I probably know better than God, and I'm going to be in control. And we all love to be in control, don't we? Self becomes the boss of our lives, and we become masters of our own destiny. But consequently, our relationship with God changes. He is no longer Lord and God. We are. And, and very often in our lives, that's a battle that we face, is that we want to be Lord and God, but God needs to be Lord and God if we're going to live in the blessing that we can receive from him. So sin damages our understanding of God, our understanding of ourselves, and our, and our understanding of our relationship with each other. And therefore, we don't know how to bless properly, and we don't know how to overflow with it. Instead of stewarding blessing, we end up multiplying sin. And the big question for us is, is God enough? And do I have enough? Which is very contrary to the way that our world works. You see, greed, envy, covetousness, lust, so many of our sins are about us trying to fill our lives with things that we don't have already or that other people have. And we see this actually in the Ten Commandments, that uh, particularly if you look at the ones on, the, on the, um, the second side, they're about taking things that we don't have. You should not commit adultery, you should not steal, you should not bear false witness, you should not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is about us not having enough and wanting blessing from other things and other people. And do not murder. Quite often when people are murdered, it's because the people want something that that person has. So 
and actually, if you, if you go through the Ten Commandments, you could probably come up with an argument for every single one, particularly the first two. You should have uh, no other gods before me, and you should not make any idol or any likeness about how things and stuff we fill our lives with that, that aren't God. And what we need to realize is, is why we reach out for these things, because if we were supposed to be blessed by God and fulfilled by him and his purposes, and we've stepped out from under that, it leaves a void in our lives that we're continually trying to fill with stuff and things and achievement and success or fashion or whatever it happens to be. Now, somebody really smart with a cool name called Blaise Pascal. Um, imagine calling your child Blaise these days, you know. But anyway, in 1670, he was writing about this, what he called this infinite space that's within us. And um, I'll tell you it in a nice, simple way after we read this, okay? But he said this, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But there was once a man in, uh, in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot, cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. So the space, the gap within us, can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, God himself. So if there is, this is a concept of the God-shaped box. If this God-shaped box is within us, and it can only be filled by God, and you're trying to fill it with other things, what's going to happen? You never, ever have enough. You will never feel satisfied. You will never feel full because you were designed. You were built by God to be filled, to, to find yourself whole in relationship with him under his good hand. And so the extent to which we can overflow with generosity to others is the extent to which the goodness of God is enough for us. Because we need to believe that God is good. And who we are, our identity, our intrinsic worth, our value comes from him. It's not enough to believe that you're dearly loved children. You have to actually live like it's true. We need to become more aware of the things and the people that we have given our hearts to. Because if there's a God-shaped box in us, we need to look inside it and find out what's already there. And we need to start taking things out of that God-shaped box. We need to see and understand the systems of this world and how the enemy distorts the goodness and creativity of God and those made in his image, which leaves us crippled from being a blessing to others because we have become addicted to or paralyzed from not having enough. Al talked about this actually in relation to the church when we're talking about being a blessing, how there were two the twin dangers. One is the poverty mindset and one is the prosperity gospel. And both of these things in terms of how we live our lives will either think, I don't have anything, I don't have enough, and be jealous and envious of other people that, that have more than us and paralyzed to be a blessing. Or we're so, we have so much, but again, it's not enough that we're holding on to extravagance 
of wealth, um, of all sorts of things, and not being a blessing because, again, we're trying to fill this void. So if you have very little and you're trying to fill the void, you're going to have a problem. If you have a lot and you're trying to fill the void, you're going to have a problem. What we need to be able to do is to see differently. We need spiritual eyes to see. We need to look at um, the water that we swim in. Do we have that wee image, Johnny? The fish one? Okay. I can, I can do it anyway, don't worry. Don't worry. So... Somebody very wise a while ago, um, and they had a little picture, and it was this big fish and two little fish. And you've heard this before anyway from me, if you've been around this church any time. But two little fish are swimming along, and a big fish swims past them. And the big fish, and they all say hello to each other. And as the big fish leaves, he says, uh, he shouts, how's the water, guys? And the two little fish look at each other, and they say, what's water? Right? Do fish have any idea of the environment around them? It's always there. And so one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves as Christians is, there we go, what is the water that we're swimming in? And if, we're, if it's part of us and we're part of a system that the enemy is working in, do we see and understand it? And we are, are we able to take a step back and go, actually, I'm running after these things and this stuff, and I'm, I'm part of this system where we're going in this direction? And actually, do you know what? I don't think God wants us to be going in this direction. I think he wants us to be going in that direction instead. I think a lot about this kind of stuff, so apologies. Um, but let's have a little bit of fun. So I have an iPhone, okay? It's an iPhone SE. It came out in 2016. And you know what I find now is that people make fun of it. People make fun of my wee phone. And they say things like, your phone's rubbish. Your phone's crap. That's really, really old. And my children even say things like, that's really embarrassing, Dad, that you've got that phone. But you see, at one stage, this phone was new. This phone was the latest and greatest. This phone was really cool. This was the best thing that there was at the time. So what happened? Why is my phone not cool anymore? I feel really bad about myself. I don't have as much sense of sense of worth and value because everybody else has got a good phone and I don't. But do you know what? If you have the latest and greatest, you also have the opportunity to go, I've got the latest phone. I've got, I've got the, is that the, is that the new phone? Everybody wants to see your phone. Is that the new, I'm not saying iPhone, okay, but you know, is that the new one? Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Where does all that come from? That's the water we swim in. It's called consumerism. And it tells us that unless we have certain things, we don't have enough. But even when you get the new, you know, like if you've ever had the opportunity of getting something really new that's the latest and greatest, whether it's a car or something fashion-wise, and maybe you're driving along in your new car and you're feeling great and wonderful. And then, you know what they've done? They've brought out a newer model. And somebody else drives past in that newer model. How do you feel? You no longer have the latest and greatest. You're, you're second rate. You're second class. Of course you're not. But you see, we need to, eyes to see differently. Our entire economy is invested in the more, not in the enough. Much or, or all of our economic systems rely on us being unhappy and the promise of fulfillment in the next thing. Our environment is a mess, not because... There are too many people in the world, but because the people in Western society consume too much 
too many resources unnecessarily because they always need new and more stuff. Our economy would start to fall apart a bit if we made decisions like, do you know what, I'm happy driving my car for another year. Well, my clothes haven't worn out, so therefore I, I don't need any more. Um, or my phone works well, I'm not getting an upgrade. By the way, next week I'll have a different phone, so it just so happens that I'm upgrading. So you can catch me out. All right? But I would like to suggest that the kingdom of God, there needs to be more of, I have enough for me now. How can I be a blessing to others? Because stuff isn't the problem. It's actually a byproduct of the problem. It's often a symptom of the fact that there is a problem. The problem is one of heart and identity. When God becomes our all in all, when he is the one that fulfills us completely, the shiny apple that is just out of reach has no hold over us. But you see... We can still have the things. We can still have the stuff. But if, it, if we're trying to use it to fill that God-shaped hole inside of us, there's something wrong. It, it's not the stuff that's wrong within itself. So we have to guard our hearts. I'm going to go really quickly on this, okay? But um, So you'll have to bear with me for a couple of minutes. We need to guard our hearts. There's a really good story in the Bible in, uh, where Jesus meets this guy, he's a rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, you know, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, look, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the guy goes, look, I've kept all those since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Okay, so remember that. And he says, one, one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at this. And they're like, well, if the rich can't get in, who can? And Jesus said, it is easier for the camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, very briefly. I'm skipping through a few slides here. Jesus quoted from the Ten Commandments particularly the ones on the right-hand side. Which one did he leave out? When he said to the rich man, have you done all these things? He names a number of them. Just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll tell you. The last one. Jesus doesn't list the last one. And so sometimes, which is strange, you know, because he's trying to make a point. The last one is you shall not covet. He knew that the rich man's heart was attached to things and stuff and to wealth. Um, and, and he spoke into that. But you know what this rich man got? Jesus said to him, if you 
sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you can come and follow me. You can be one of my disciples. I'm inviting you into a relationship with me. Come and be one of my disciples. And this was like after the 12 disciples and after um, the 72, the, the rich man gets invited to be one of Jesus' disciples and he says, no, you're all right, I'll take my stuff. I'm away. Because his heart was attached to things. Um, and, and again, just, uh, just very quickly, you probably know this already, but um, do the whole camel through the eye of a needle thing and you're thinking like, do you have to liquidize a camel to get it through the eye? of a needle, like how is that actually done? Well, it turns out that the eye of a needle is a gate, one of the gates in the way into Jerusalem, um, and in particular at night time, uh, the, the gate had like another gate within it. Have we got that picture of the, of the gate, Johnny? There you go. Um, so if you had a camel and it was laden with stuff because you were really rich and you were really wealthy, you had to take all the stuff off your camel to get your camel um, through the gate and then put it all back on again. And so it was just an analogy. It wasn't something really weird that we think, we're just thinking like, why would you even say that? Why a camel and why the eye of a needle? Because it actually made sense to the people who were around at those days. So let me come into land on um, something very briefly. Everyone gets to bless. You see, you have been given much by God. And if we live in a poverty mindset, we'll not believe that that's true. But we can all give away our time to others because it's a gift from God that we get to steward. We can all give away our love to others because we can be refilled with the extravagant love of God. So we'll always have more to give. We can give away our stuff to others because we haven't attached our value and our worth and identity to those things. We can open up our homes and be hospitable to others, regardless of how big or small or whatever else we think about our home, because it's a space that says to the person who's invited in, you're welcome and you're loved. We can give away what we have financially because we recognize that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We can be happy with what we have and rejoice and not be envious of others because everything is a gift from God. You see, when we get this right, when we see things right, when we see everything as a blessing from God, and he is the one that meets our needs, all the assets and all the things that we have become an opportunity to bless other people. And if we get caught in comparison with other people, we'll never get to that point. If we're always looking at where we're at in relation to somebody else, that's what society would have us do. That's what the devil would have us do. We'll never get to the point that we think we've got more than enough to give away. But what we also need to do is learn how to receive. And maybe we'll look at this over the next few weeks too. But it's very hard to bless other people when they're, they're not able to receive. And some of the people that have the most are the worst people at being able to receive. You know those kind of people when you go out for a meal that they always insist on paying? but to the point where it gets really, really awkward and difficult. And at some point you kind of think, I would love to pay. Like he just wants, I would love to pay. Because the Bible even teaches us it's more blessed to give than, than to receive. Sometimes even in our de desire not to seem to, to need anything, we rob other people of the opportunity to be a blessing. 
But I think that when we come under the rule and reign and authority of God, when we realize that being a blessing and receiving a blessing are both the godly things, we can really show the kingdom to those around us in the church and those around us in the world. But when we need to think about the water that we're swimming in and the fact that we live in a consumeristic and a materialistic world where we attach false value to things and stuff because the enemy doesn't want us to overflow with blessing. Because if we overflow with blessing, the kingdom would come. Lives would be changed and transformed. Communities would be changed and transformed with the love of God. So, sorry I've gone over a few minutes, but let's pray. God, we just acknowledge our complete need of you. And we think about this God-shaped box within us that we're trying to fill with other things. And even this morning, God, as you have highlighted, where we are filling that with other things and where that space that was only meant to be filled by you has some other stuff in there at the minute. God, would you come in your grace and your mercy and take that away? Lord, would you be our all-sufficient saviour? Will you be the person that meets our needs? Will you be the one that satisfies completely so that we can give from a place of extravagance, of knowing your extravagant love, your extravagant mercy, your extravagant forgiveness? May that be the place from which we give out to others. And where, Lord, people in this room are struggling financially, are struggling with their health, are struggling with their free time, are struggling relationally, God, will you come and meet their needs? Will you come and bring hope and peace in Jesus' name? Amen. All right, thank you all for coming. We'll see you next week. If God is uh, has been speaking to you this morning, you'd like to have a chat or we'd like prayer for anything else that's going on, if you'd like prayer for healing, please come up and see us afterwards. We'd love to pray with you.